CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Hello and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag cybersecurity. Today's topic is cybersecurity readiness, prevention versus response. And our guest for today's show is David McLeod, who is the CISO of VF Corporation. Morning, David. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Very good. Thank you, and it's an honor to have you on the show. Now, today, when CISOs uh, face a threat, uh, there are two schools of thought on how they can defend and limit the damage to their organization. We have spoken to quite a few people, and they can pour countless hours and dollars into prevention. That's one school. And then they could recognize an attack is coming no matter what and do all they can to properly respond and mitigate when the attack appears. You could go ahead and ask the, the CISOs, and they would say, okay, we do a little bit of both, or uh, some say it is better to react. So it's a dilemma, and the correct answer may be a mix of both approaches. That's what, that's what I mentioned just now. And But today, we wanted to ask uh, CISO, which is you, David, your perspective, and take us through the train of thought in that moment of crisis. So, so that said, when you look at the way the enterprises are facing the threats, it is not about if they are going to face, it is about when. So if the, the reality, the landscape is such, would you still think that you would want to just say, I'm going to secure the fort to a point that it doesn't happen, or you'd rather go the, the, the response route? Right. And this is a great philosophical debate, almost goes to religion points amongst CISOs, executives, what have you. So I want to frame it by uh, first telling you a little bit about VF, and then I can uh, work through how you can apply that to your company. Because absolutely there's no one right answer, and the reason there's not one right answer, it's because every company's needs and industry is different. So let me tell you about VF. Uh, VF is known for its powerful brands, powerful platforms, and uh, one VF. A lot of folks don't know that we are the owners of Seven for All Mankind, Lee Wrangler. Uh, on the denim side, uh, you have probably uh, done a lot with uh, vans in your family, Timberland or North Face, even Nautica. A lot of folks don't know that we have uh, Majestic and Bulwark for uh, image wear and uniforms and red cap, uh, but also Lucy Splendid and Ella Moss for ladies. So our brands represent a huge uh, portfolio of really connected products, and, uh, and I thank everyone out there who's going to go out and buy some more today. <laughs> so putting it in a retail context, right, that's uh, the world I'm coming from. Um, to make a decision about prevent versus detect – we really have to take what I would consider the new school view of information risk and security, which is what are we trying to protect, right? So you see, we have brands in retail, very different than a bank, very different than a chemical company. So we're more concerned about our customers' connection to us and keeping that connection so that they want to shop comfortably online uh, in e-commerce and our stores, which are growing all over the world. That was my shameless plug. So, um, so in making that decision, I think today we get to talk through why certain companies can enjoy the luxuries of Prevent and why other, other companies have to just be great at response. 
and we'll talk about all the in-betweens. So in your view, it is based on a condition that you would do that. Now, given that the, the thieves are always ahead of the cops, and, and we can, of course, keep securing, and, and there is there are dollars to be spent in terms of preparing. When you go to build a business case to the stakeholders and say, give me a million dollars, I'm going to work towards fortifying, I mean, securing our fort, but I'm not sure whether it's going to truly help us where we will be 100% sure. And when the reaction, like when, when the breach happens, we will deal with it. With that type of a weak business case, God bless us, we'll never get the dollars. Correct. Never gets the dollars. And on top of that, uh, if that story has been told by the same person several times, they may not even get the conversation. So to that point, um, CISOs have to consider frameworks today. Frameworks that speak English, framework that let us put forth one view of the facts and measurements for where we need to be concerned in our business. Uh, so something that, that we push and uh, encourage uh, quite a bit uh, to my peers inside my business is the NIST cybersecurity framework. The framework isn't going to fix the business and tell you which, but it's going to help you understand where and, and where you need to be good or not good. So in specific business context, in my world, I care a lot about e-com and retail stores. That's where we're growing. That's where customers want to have confidence. That's what keeps you shopping, certain brands, right? Uh, I don't know how you were impacted by uh, recent national breach, breaches, but did it change the way you shopped? Did it make you use cash? Did you avoid the store altogether? So to figure out how to have that right conversation to get the million dollars, um, you need facts and data that put your business in perspective. And I think that can be a very uncomfortable conversation for the traditional CISO uh, because he made his reputation on technology and controls. He grew up in tech. He grew up believing in one school of thought versus another. And now he's propelled into a, uh, uh, an information risk management conversation. So we looked at it from a CISO's perspective. So let's go back to the stakeholders. So uh, stakeholders here, two things. One is that, okay, there was a breach in another company, and then suddenly their company stock tumbled, or uh, there were some other issues with the confidence among the, the consumers. What is it that they come back and bring you into a, a closed-door conversation and talk to you about? What are their concerns? What do they want to accomplish that we can never have a breach or... If we have a breach, we keep it under wraps, or if we have a breach and we have to disclose it, but at least we are able to bounce back quickly. What are they looking for? It's a combination of things, and you'll see great guidance out there uh, on the Internet. So, for example, if you check in and just take a look at cyber risk oversight, they are asking great, reasonable business questions. If you Google uh, National Association of Corporate Directors, uh, they are being coached on how to be great directors and officers and asking the right questions. And here are some of the questions. What new actions are you taking to protect ourselves from the risk? Okay, really simple, right? Yesterday's approach may have been compliance-driven. It may have been driven by restricted budgets or just, you know, being great at the basics. But what are the new things you're going to do? Uh, second question they might ask is, what's the governance in place? You know, how do we know that the things you installed are properly installed, well installed? How do we know we should trust the last million dollars we gave you? Third question. Um, if secure, security, you know, the, the new threat is very different than compliance, what's our plan to be able to match up to that? Basically, how are we going to keep up? 
and they want to hear very clear answers. There's more questions I could go on and on, but they're very high-level questions about how are you recognizing what's going on in the world, mapping it to my business concerns today, and, and uh, how are you choosing to close those gaps? And, and uh, those, the, are, uh, you know, those are fairly simple, high-level questions, but the implications on how to get there are very serious. So these questions when asked, how are CISOs responding? Do you think this is more like wordsmithing or, or there is um, complete objectivity in the way these are responded to? Uh, most likely a little bit of both, right? So uh, if, you're, if the CISO is compliance-driven, he will have to look at his framework, look at his business priorities and say, wow, PCI covered credit cards in the store, but it didn't cover things like, you know, the other valuable pieces of information I have, right, such as my intellectual property, such as competitive pricing, such as customer list, uh, such as uh, different aspects of supply chain. And, and those are my retail examples, right? But if he was compliance-driven, his answer is can be more objective to say, I'm good on X, but I didn't even consider Y because it wasn't in the compliance scope. On the other end of the spectrum, uh, if he was truly driven by risk, he gets to look at the threats and say, for the threats that I, we most recently read about, my controls actually have no impact. So here's an example. Almost every cybercrime opportunity today has a social engineering aspect and an identity breach aspect, right? Somebody's got to click on something so the malware can get in. And then the malware has to find its way to pick up uh, additional credentials. So he's got to take, again, that framework point of view and start to think about the, uh, the, the value of company assets versus the attacker and then gauge it to where he is. So uh, he, he can get a lot of help with that from the outside. There's plenty of good uh, wisdom. Uh, what he cannot do is build his case around the last news story. Right? Something we've learned this year or in the last 12 months is each story about a breach reveals one little detail different. So you can't, you... you can't knee-jerk and say, oh, my God, they were breached that way. How am I doing with that one item? I need $100,000 to fix that. Whew, now I'm good. That won't fly. Lost credibility. Chicken little. Question for you. Isn't it very lonely up there? So you, you said that these different questions are posed and, and this person as an individual responsible. You could go back to your lieutenants and perhaps try to get answers. But to be very frank, there have been quite a few conversations and uh, you know uh, comments made around this where the, the crew themselves is, is not up to speed. Even the training that's available out there is not up to date for you to be prepared for what's coming next. With that said, how prepared are you when asked a question besides just responding to that question to be able to even evaluate where you stand? Because you could have false positives or you could really be living in that dream world and, and actually would be far more vulnerable than you think. Than you think. Correct. So uh, granted, um, it could be lonely. It, it could feel like you're sitting on a powder keg smoking a cigarette. Uh, but here's where governance comes into play. And company executives, boards, operating committees, they understand governance. So it's a very simple process to go to the outside and ask about the attacker's view of your business. You know, put aside everything you've always done and the way you've rationalized it and ask someone else, how would you attack my business? What's interesting about my business? Um, and then you can uh, take the other point uh, and go talk to uh, your executives. What are we most concerned about? The idea that it'll be in the newspaper or the actual data being missing? Right, so in order to not have it be lonely and in order to have the CISO function as an effective risk manager in the company, 
He will do the same thing that they do with all the other aspects of risk, right? Financial risk, they go and talk to bankers and markets. What's happening? Where are my currency exposures? What are my options? Same conversation, except from an information security, information risk perspective. Second conversation is back to the company. Which thing is most important? If I could only protect one thing, what should I most be worried about? It probably won't be socks, you know, in the current era, but that's what the story was then. So it's very easy for the CISO to join hands, become a part of the enterprise risk management conversation by getting facts about his industry, facts about the attackers in the world, and joining those to the company priorities. And that's a continuous conversation. So yet again, another career risk, right? If you were the guy buried in a department, known for its last technology rollout, that's a very uncomfortable conversation. At VF, the conversation has to take place around the world from the perspective of each of our brands. Banks, banks do it pretty well because uh, this kind of governance is not new, but uh, it doesn't have to be lonely. We're partners with the business. If we uh, function and have the dialogue and bring a fresh perspective, we'll all make a good decision that uh, protects strategy. Let's take a quick break, uh, break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's go into the mindset of a CISO who believes that it's necessary to do whatever it takes to prevent an attack. That's one of the types, right? So you, you, you basically secure the fort in such a way so that the, the attacker cannot even get in. So if we had to wear that mindset for a second, what sorts of policies and safeguards are supposed to be put in place? And what should be the approach that they could have where they could have a solid plan of attack in terms of preventing the, the intruder. So please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So, uh, David, let's have you wear the hat of uh, some uh, CISO who believes that it's necessary to do whatever it takes 
to prevent an attack. So if you are wearing just that hat, for example, what sorts of policies or safeguards would you be looking to put in place or or anyone in, in that role should be putting in place? And what would be their plan of attack in terms of uh, prevention? And at the time where you are doing detection, you do get more proactive in your approach to detection. Okay, great question. So I'm, I, I've got an unlimited budget and I can defend the world. Um, so, uh, if I'm going to do that, uh, safeguards and policies, I'm going to have to spend money to know every asset uh, and where it's moving at all times. So I'll have to know where my credit card data is. I will have to know where my customer data is. I will have to know where my intellectual property is. And I will be able to put a framework in place that will help those things uh, be hard to find. And then I will be able to, uh, you know, do all that stuff that even, uh, for example, uh, Bruce Schneier on your show in 2004 talked about where encryption doesn't work. Well, if I'm going to defend against every attack, I probably believe that encryption can save me from something. All right, so there'll be uh, a larger than normal technology investment uh, in security controls. I will have to have very disciplined processes around checking and rechecking everything. And then... I will have to do the new cool thing that very few companies understand today, which is I will have to have threat intelligence and hunt the hunter capability. Okay, by threat intelligence, it means I will have to have constant feeds from companies like me, companies that have an attack surface like me, and, uh, and even feeds from uh, underground forums to understand who would even be interested in my business and the locations it operates in, right? In fact, uh, if I was that guy defending against all the attacks today, I might pick up the newspaper, see the protests in Hong Kong, and say, wait a minute, I have a location in Hong Kong. Let's get to work figuring out what that will mean. You know, will that just be an early warning of hacktivism to one of my websites? Or is someone probably trying to promote uh, uh, some sort of malware uh, to make an example of me because of those protests? Right, so when it, with, uh, to, in the new world, to uh, defend against all attacks, threat intelligence will be key. And by hunt the hunter capability, it means I must hire very smart humans with proprietary tools to recon my network inside and outside from an attacker point of view. I will have to have basically from the, so from the movie The Matrix, I will have to have a number of sentinels always active. Right, working under the assumption that if I'm going to prevent an attack, someone is already in, and I have to find them before they can do something. Again, very radically different capabilities than traditional security. Uh, very radical to the commercial business. Right, DoD knew, knew this knew this years ago, uh, and other uh, government agencies uh, have known this for years, but very new to the commercial sector. You know, we still see uh, plenty of examples of lost IP. Right, you don't have to publicly disclose that, but lost IP. Trash is a company. Uh, companies see their products in the market and, or, or a like version very quickly. You know, those are some of the examples where we may have been uh, preventing attacks that we're afraid of from a newspaper perspective, but we actually didn't protect uh, the thing that was most valuable to the business. Now, and, and, and very interesting that when you started responding to this question, you said unlimited budgets, right? So that's that's what your your goal was, and and the reality is that's not the case. So let's get real with a CISO having budget, good amount of budget, but not unlimited. That means they will have to cut down the list of all possible assets to perhaps a few crown jewels, which they need to first identify, 
and make sure that they are secured and the rest of them, if there is a breach or whatever happens to them, at least they know that they have covered the basis. So now that said, what is your basis to, de to, to define the crown jewels? Should it come from the business stakeholders? Do they even understand which their crown jewels are? Or CISO is supposed to go and become the business analyst or a risk analyst, sit down with every stakeholder and try to determine that list? Well, so when we get to the real world and there's no matrix and no sentinels at my disposal that can, you know, communicate with the rest of the sentries <laughs> uh, to, to stop an attack, then, um, yes, the CISO has to facilitate a conversation of what is the value of that asset? What can go wrong if we lost this piece of IP versus this credit card number? And how much of that do we want to absorb? Take that same question and apply it to a new geography. Take that same question and apply it to another supporting business unit. So the, so the CISO joins a conversation that's already happening, you know, with uh, possibly the audit department, possibly the board level. Um, but it will be, uh, again, a healthy conversation where he's bringing new data, new perspective, right? We've reached a point where automation is just a part of excellence and competition. Therefore, he's joining uh, and hopefully an ongoing conversation about enterprise risk. So, so basically what you, what you are saying is that you will go about doing it, but then is there a quantifiable measure of or, or, or has the risk community or security community been able to say, you tell me what your risks are and we can actually do a, a simple mathematics uh, basically to calculate how much risk is there and then whether we dump that asset as not being part of that crown jewels portfolio versus the one which is getting included? Are we that clear on the risk and, and, and the way you quantify uh, whether something has to be qualified as a crown jewel or not? No, we're, we're not that clear. In fact, risk management in its very theory and roots is quantitative where you have some numbers you know, that tell you, you know, here's what happens if a store is closed for three days. You have a revenue number and you can mitigate against that versus uh, here are threats uh, that we know are out there. We don't know how they'll impact us, but we need some insurance, right? So, so one aspect of the risk discussion is the insurance component to just say, I'm going to hedge, have a couple extra capabilities, have a couple of new tools, have a little bit of a toe in the water uh, in order to balance that conversation. Because, you know, part of it at the end of the day is, how do I write a great eulogy? If my story has to be told to the public, that I had to take great care of the shareholders. What are the specific measurements I used to make that decision and make those recommendations? And where did I hedge with insurance called new capabilities, called cyber liability, called acceptance? And we hope to balance that discussion not alone, but with operating committees and board members and uh, business leader heads, because uh, we can't do this alone. Now, with the you know, inclusion of APTs, that advanced persistent threats. That is, of course, was there, but then now we have given it a, a specific hat then and our category of risks, which are uh, very elusive. They kind of penetrate in a very slow approach and the, the people who are taking on this are very well funded, et cetera, et cetera. So if someone is trying to secure an organization for APTs to really take uh, hold in, 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 in a company, it is going to be very draining. So would you, from the get-go, say, you know what, it is going to be slow, but as long as we know that we are able to react quickly, 
there is no point in us putting in resources to chase something which we don't even know where it's going to come from or how slowly it's going to find its way through. Because you could find a piece of data or, 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 or an incident, but you do not know what is being intended as the final outcome of that initial penetration. It's, it's like a game of chess, which you don't know 20 moves later what, what the other player is going to do. Correct. So, again, if we're going to write a grid eulogy, we were diligent in our risk management process and we were diligent in our uh, security processes, you know, meaning we, we take a look and we evaluate. So, as far as APT or not, you know, which can very easily be, you know, half a million dollar a year up in investment. You're right, a lot of money, a lot of drain. We have to just look at what our capability is and say, can I build that capability? Can I source that capability uh, long term, like an outsourced partner uh, that does these things? Um, or can I even consume the data if I had the hardware for APT? So again, back to threat intelligence and humans hunting humans, uh, there'll have to be a rationalization that says for what I expect to lose and my capability to run such a complex technology, such a resource drain, how do I get involved at minimal cost? How do I place some table stakes there as well uh, to be able to look at that advanced threat that humans have a tough time uh, you know, discerning and seeing in logs and all that good stuff? Why would I buy a single piece of hardware for a whole lot of money? Can I support it? So, so very tough decision, but I think if you look at the history of the last 12 months of uh, breaches across all industry, healthcare, retail, uh, banking, you would have a hard time telling your shareholders, associates, customers that I chose to not do something uh, that even breach companies have, have tried. So where does this take us? So APTs is draining. It's taking our focus away from what's important for the business. So would you say um, uh, we, we, we take a position within the organization or in front of public that, guys, we will not be able to safeguard against any and every possible, remotely possible, um, you know, issue or, or, or a risk. So we want to give you a complete package where overall risk is minimized, but not we're not putting all our energies into this one APT-related threat. Are you able to make that position as an organization, yourself or any other organization that's out there? Absolutely. Again, these decisions are already being made in the context of, uh, of risk management. Uh, but as proper governance and uh, proper uh, oversight and just uh, being smart and fact-based, uh, you will have to explain so that uh, with this position, we arrived due to this rationale, which is here's how we're protecting our strategy. Here are the tactical areas where we have concern, and here are the smart investments we've made to help us, uh, again, have that insurance, or that, that table stakes bet. Here's the smart technology and where we'll focus it. So it's not a $6 million initiative. It's $100,000 uh, hedge. But absolutely, uh, reasonable assurance and outside evaluations that are, you know, that are rigorous and help us uh, have a fact basis. Uh, but also, there's never full assurance. The attackers are smart. And again, I remember uh, part of every attack is social engineering. How do you get a company insider to unknowingly do the wrong thing? Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and look at CISA's role, uh, Chief Information Security Officer's role, is should it be governed in a fuzzy manner where they just kind of go as as the time uh, permits and as the different incidents uh, unfold and say, okay, I've done enough, or 
there always has to be a checklist that if we did this, 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 and this, that means we've done our part. And if anything that happens, it's like weathermen. We tried to predict the weather. It was supposed to be rainy, but now it is sunshine. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll ride back and explore. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, when you sleep at night as a chief information security officer, would you always be uh, faced with this fuzzy feeling that, okay, I tried whatever I tried, but I don't know if I did enough? Or would you say, I had a checklist, I took care of it, or other things which we are doing will eventually take care of it, so I'm doing my job, let's have a good night's sleep, sweet dreams? <laughs> Neither. A little bit of prayer, tomorrow's a new day, and we're patriots, so let's get up and fight. <laughs> Yeah, so certainly um, there's comfort in the facts, there's comfort in the focus, um, but there's also a lot of comfort in just saying, I'm aware of the attacks, I'm aware of what will stop this business from growing, and, um, and I, I'm protecting that first. All right, so again, our whole theme has been, things are going to happen, right? Stores close, buildings burn, uh, people don't show up for work, uh, some computers just crash and lose information. And those are, this is the same thing, right? So we, we've got a lot of sensitivity around what the CISO is chartered to protect and advise on, um, but still risk management and using the facts, using uh, understanding of threats is room to uh, sleep tonight and get up and do it again tomorrow. Understand we're also wired differently. For some reason, we sign up for years to uh, uh, chase the most difficult <laughs> of challenges to work in an unquantifiable world and uh, and to be able to flex in it. So it's also uh, one of the reasons we sleep so well is uh, we enjoy the chase. Now, you are also, as a group, comprised of people with different personalities. While many of them would have uh, that, that personality of enjoying the chase, if you will, 
but a different kind of chase or or they may have a fatigue factor or they may have different philosophies and methodologies in the way they do it. How do you bring the team together so that CISO's group is essentially marching in the same one direction, which is chosen uh, in the light of what the business demands? Right. Now, you, now you're talking about culture change. Uh, don't care where you are, what industry you're in, what country you're in, uh, the truth of our industry uh, uh, challenges in a couple of ways. Number one, there are very few local state-only businesses that have a CISO, right? So when we start talking about people from different cultures coming together and further complicating uh, the debates that happen be- behind uh, techie-only guys versus uh, risk management guys, uh, it's a tough culture shift. And the way we manage that is we bring them together and we give them a whiteboard with facts to look at. You know, we try to give them every reason to first think about the company, second think about the team, and then totally subjugate the personal views to the data. And that's a very hard switch, right? Because after all, if, you've, uh, if your personality is wired for A plus B equals C and everything needs to be quantifiable and fixed for comfort, it's a tough conversation to say, dude, take your head off your, uh, uh, you know, your tool set and look at the whiteboard. And give me assurance that those two are connected. So huge shift in culture. Move the focus to the problem. Take outside data. A lot of a uh, lot of confrontation of ego, tradition. A big part of the paradigm shift in culture. Big part of why uh, Forrester in their white paper, uh, they talk about the uh, the new CISO evolve to become the new CISO of 2018 or die. All right. So different collaboration skills, culture shifting skills. And yes, the battle inside the team is uh, just as challenging as uh, building a risk management culture for an enterprise organization. I did mention, uh, you know, a few minutes uh, ago about the inability to get the team up to speed on where the world is moving because it's not there's no intent of people learning new things. It's because most even trainers do not know where things are going. So how do you expect a mindset change, including also a capability improvement to happen when, you know, starting with you as a leader and everybody else do not really know where this is going? Well, it's hard. So culture change means I'm going to replace your belief system with a new one. Culture change means your old decision process on gut feel is going to be replaced with facts. Um, Directly to your question, some of the mindsets will not change. Directly to the question, some of the folks won't be able to think about humans hunting humans. They're only good with consoles. Some of the folks won't like frameworks. They never thought a certification or framework did any good. They prefer to play play with tools. So um, it is a people shifting. It is a capability challenge. It comes down to and, – and, and, so to, and to further exacerbate the problem, the security market is short on people everywhere. The only question is uh, how short be it Northeast or California or Hong Kong. In fact, I think the statistic I got last January from CEB is that the, uh, the shortage of staffing in the Northeast went from 1,400 to 2,500 with a new banking mandate that went into effect. I think I got that from a corporate executive board uh, last year. So exacerbating these uh, shifting mindsets and cultures and needing to adopt new capabilities is the fact that people aren't there. And Forrester also uh, uh, alludes to the fact that because of that uh, resistance, because of the lack of supply, people that did not grow up in IT, did not grow up in in information security, 
will enter this field and, and lead it forward. So the typical CISO will not always be the guy who grew up in IT. He'll be a risk manager with a great business understanding, uh, ability to assemble a global team. Right? So again, big paradigm shift. If we can't get it and the business has to have it, there's going to be people, culture, and, uh, and sourcing movements to deal with that. If you had to poll your team in a closed room and say, where would you want to go, be in a responsive mode or more in a preventive mode? Where do the more hands are raised? Oh, what does the team be, want? They want to be in prevent mode. They want comfort and tool. They want to know this is going to work. That's just human nature. I don't, I don't think that's team-based. Heck, I want that, but I want it in the form of humans hunting humans, not uh, toys and tools. So while they want it, are they able, when they're not able to work because part of you also knows that you cannot be 100% foolproof. So how, how are you able to get them to a mode to say, okay, we will safeguard or be in preventive mode for certain crown jewels, and then we have to be in responsive mode for the rest. And how do you um, make that balance very clear and also get a buy-in? Very simple. Very simple, but hard to get it to absorb. Uh, one page slide that says, here are the most important parts of our business at the top, working down to the bottom. In my world, it happens to be at the very top, e-commerce, retail stores, innovation, supply chain, corporate functions, and then third party. You know, and, and that can vary by business, but that's where my growth is going to be, right? So when a tech guy sees that, he starts thinking about data that's not there. He starts thinking from his compliance lens, but I simply put it on one page, top to bottom, strategic to tactical, and then across here are the capabilities we need in those spaces and how are we doing in those spaces. So it's basically a one-page roadmap that lasts a long time. Second article is that narrative of the story we want to tell. Um, here's the good things we did at a decision level. Here's the governance we applied. Here are the outside threats we validated are part of our business or industry. And here are the investments we'll make in the coming 12 to 18 months. So very clear marching orders. But you're right, the resistance is still there. Some folks will still say, well, I really don't see that. Um, because in order to map to that chart, we may have to change providers. In order to map to that chart, we may need people in you know, different cities and states because they can't be sourced in my current city or state. And those are very disruptive um, decisions for people and teams. Are there any specific best practices that you would say have emerged because old best practices may not be relevant in today's day and age, uh, about how do you go about building an incident response plan or you would go about doing a risk assessment or containing um, you know, the risks and related measures related to it? Actually, I think there are some, uh, a lot of good learnings in the recent uh, uh, industry announcement. So when it, and bear with me, I've got a couple of notes here. So one thing in particular uh, around incident response, you've got to have a plan. And guess what? If it's that same plan that you use for IT guys to figure out where the breach happened, it's not going to take care of the outside world. It's not going to take care of the customer. It's not going to tell you what you have to say to the public in the first 24, 48, you know, uh, 72 hours. So um, have a plan, rehearse it, uh, change your scenario assumptions, another best practice, right? Whoever thought that their uh, incident response would have to take into account uh, what employees, what past employees are talking about the details from inside of a company. That occurred recently. Um, so I, I feel that each new industry announcement tells us to pick up your incident response plan, 
look at what the public said, look at the root causes that they're inferring, right, because we'll never get all the data from the newspaper, and figure out how your plan works to that. Because my traditional incident response plan would have IT guys working in a closet for a lot of days before they ever reached out uh, to talk to customers, to talk to business leaders. Um, That's yeah, let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back, and and you continue your thoughts on this subject, and then subsequently we would uh, go about looking at what are the different challenges that you feel you have in managing up and managing down when it comes to be able to have a healthy and safe organization. So yes, you have stakeholders, you know, uh, breathing down your neck. At the same time, you got issues. Uh, of of the team not being able to come up to speed. And then you mentioned that it is hard to manage those expectations. So you are in an interesting spot there as a CISO. So what is what is that balance? Where, where do you find a, a way to be able to say, okay, I'm able to do the job and eventually I've come to a stable state? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So given we do not always have control on the external factors, the best we can do and the role of a CISO perhaps is to manage expectations and deliveries and anything else in between in order for us to have a predictable result if possible. So what are some of the challenges that you see you face and you've seen your fellow CISOs face and what is your playbook to bringing to a stable state a CISO's role? All right. So, um, big challenge to the traditional CISO, and I'm not the traditional CISO, uh, is a lot of engagement of the organization. You have to talk to business leaders about risk. You have to know the board perspective and operating committee perspective on risk. Uh, you have to know where the business is trying to grow, where the revenue is going to come from. Uh, so, a lot of business engagement that says, get out of my office, don't play with the tools, and listen to people about what will stop us from achieving our uh, long-term goals. 
And because the CISO is one guy, he must be have an incredible uh, ability to uh, to build uh, uh, other uh, other engaged information risk managers, right? So my goal is to go out there and do Jedi mind tricks and Huck Finn to have other folks start to think about risk. So in essence, the influence side of the job has become huge. Not influence to get projects funded, but influence to have people integrate this information into your normal risk management conversations. Um, when I look at our organization and our size versus the total population and location of the company, everybody has the job to go out there and make uh, security Facebook friends. Folks that will talk to you about what they saw, folks that you can uh, run scenarios by, uh, folks that you can include in uh, various aspects of response planning and investment planning. So the influence role, the evangelist role, less, you know, the old school was technology evangelist, the new school is uh, influence, risk management dialogue. And, uh, and it's challenging and it's ongoing, but uh, if you're not comfortable with engaging large groups of people, different levels, um, it can be a failure point in the career. So while, while I asked you with respect to managing expectations, delivery, et cetera, I think you created a great segue into the leadership question that, I'm, that I was about to ask, which is, do you think security uh, personnel and, and the person who's at the top of the security team earlier was seen as a risk manager and now seen as uh, a leader? Has, has that promotion happened or are you guys still struggling? That promotion is happening for the guys that are ready for the job. Um, I see the uh, CISO uh, invitation to the table. I see the CISO involvement uh, from my peers. So I'm a, a part of the Retail Cyber Intelligence Sharing Center, and there's a full range of uh, CISOs there, and many are at the table helping them understand what security barriers do I need to remove so that I can confidently go into a new market? What security do I need around payments so that I can do more around e-com? All right, so clearly the invitation is there because the technology is so pervasive that it will help companies win, it will help companies compete. However, again, back to the individual here, uh, if the company uh, has a quick shift from one market to another, it may expose some leadership weaknesses. It may expose some, uh, uh, some credibility flaws. Uh, it may expose some uh, overuse of strength when it comes to talking tech and dialogue. But I do find that CISOs are actively being invited to the table at my own company and across other retailers. And, of course, that already happened at uh, many, uh, many uh, more regulated uh, industries that, that do a lot more revenue. So finance is in this for years, but uh, I find it permeating. Um, now, here's the gotcha factor. Uh, in my industry in particular, it's incredibly bottom-heavy. Right? So if you look at the Fortune 100, the number of retailers above or Fortune 200, the number of retailers at over, what, four, six billion a year? Not that many. And retail is probably one of the least definable industries out there. So there's a lot of little shops, a lot of franchisee shops that have the, are subject to the exact same threats that I am, but yet they, will, they are a long way from having CISOs and security departments. Right? But we will still, uh, still see the support uh, where there is a board, but I think as an industry, we need to be concerned about the little guy who just isn't big enough to have these kind of people out there. But we see from the, uh, the breaches last year, there were small companies, there were franchisees, there were large companies. Everyone's an opportunity, and that's very different. One last question for you. If you had to send a message out or appeal, on one hand to the other CISOs who are dealing with this dilemma, whether to be preventive or responsive, 
and also on the other hand to the stakeholders. What would that message and or appeal be in order for us to be able to effectively handle this interesting times and the risk that is generated? I would say be both preventive and, uh, and responsive and add to that a paradigm shift. Do those two things differently. Do them by collaborating with outsiders on the threats that you face. Do that through different education and training. And um, do that by taking advantage of uh, an entirely new market of providers. Right? So old school, you were probably more uh, technology-driven and compliance-driven. New school, like DOD, like finance and other industries already figured out, you got to work with others and collaborate. You got to get a different point of view than you've always done it. And then you're in a position to do both prevent and response and uh, to deal with the new attacker, the new way. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, David, for sharing your thoughts on how we can have organization achieve a cybersecurity readiness and basically make sure that they are both responsive and also be able to prevent attacks as appropriate. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. And please like us on Facebook listeners, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovation.